have spent the last 16 weeks looking at what we believe in the Salvation Army. That being said, not all of us here today, not anyone who may be listening later, may not be Salvationists. But the reason that we have covered these and the reason that they're important is because they held basic Christian biblical truths that can be helpful for any Christian to understand. Because in knowing what we believe, we can learn who we are in Christ. And knowing our identity in Christ can be essential in operating in this world today and withstanding whatever trials and temptations come our way and standing firm in our faith. Because, like the song says, I know who I am believed, and I know that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him. And so that's why we've spent this time, these last 16 weeks or more, looking at what we believe. We've looked at the 11 doctrines, believing the scriptures of the Old and New Testament were given by inspiration of God, and that the scriptures given by God are the only thing that as Christians we should live by and consider a manual for life. That there was only one God, infinitely perfect, the creator, preserver, and governor of all things, because he is our creator, because he is our governor, because he preserves us. He is the only proper object of worship. We believe in the Trinity, three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, undivided in essence and co-equal in power and glory. We believe that in Jesus, the divine human nature is reunited so that he is truly and properly God and truly and properly man. We believe that our first parents, Adam and Eve, were created in a state of innocency. They didn't know sin. They were without sin, but they were disobedient because they had free will. And through their disobedience, they were exposed to the wrath of God. And as such, we have all become sinners, equally exposed to the wrath of God. We believe that through Jesus' suffering and death on the cross, he has made an atonement for the whole world. He paid the price for everyone so that whosoever will may be saved. We believe that repentance towards God, faith in our leader Jesus Christ, and regeneration by the Holy Spirit are necessary in order for us to be saved. We do believe that we are justified by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and he that believeth has a witness in himself. We believe that continuance in the state of salvation depends on our continued obedient faith in Christ. We believe it's the privilege of all believers to be sanctified, to be holy, that their whole spirit, soul, and body be blameless until the coming of Christ. And that we believe in the immortality of the soul and the resurrection of the body and the general judgment at the end of the world and the eternal happiness of the righteous and in the punishment of the wicked. 
and we moved into what we call our ethical articles of faith. Statements that as Christians we would make declaring our faith and how our faith is going to look like in action and what it requires of us in our daily lives. Being responsive to the Holy Spirit's work. Obedient to the Spirit's leading in our lives. Growing in grace through worship, prayer, service, and reading the Bible. By making the values of the kingdom and not the values of this world the standard for our lives. To uphold Christian integrity in every aspect of our life. Allowing nothing in thought, word, or deed that is unworthy, unclean, untrue, profane, dishonest, or immoral to be in our lives, to be in our thoughts. We talk about maintaining Christian ideals in whatever relationships we are in with our family, our neighbors, our colleagues, fellow church members, for those we are responsible for, and even our wider community, for just anybody that we interact with. Upholding the sanctity of marriage and of the family life. We talked about being a faithful steward of our time and our gifts, our money and our possessions, our body and our mind and our spirits, knowing that whatever we have been given, we have been given to give glory to God with it. And that we will be held accountable to Him and how we use them. We talked about being faithful to the purposes for which God has raised up the church, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and endeavoring to win others to Him, and in His name, caring for the needy and disadvantaged, to be actively involved as much as we are able in the life, work, and worship and witness of the church, giving a large portion of our, giving as large a portion of our income as possible to support the ministry and the worldwide work of the army. We talked about being true to the principles and practices of the church, the Salvation Army, loyal to the leaders, and to show the spirit of salvationism, to show our Christian attitude. No matter if it's popular or not. No matter if we're undergoing persecution or not. And we even briefly talked about abstaining from things that can enslave the body and soul. <clears throat> Alcoholic drink, tobacco, the non-medical use of addictive drugs, gambling, pornography, the occult, and anything else that can replace God in our lives. And so we have one last area that we're going to look at. We've spent some time looking at those. We know what our faith is supposed to look like. And in other churches in the faith, there are other practices that people use to illustrate their faith, to show their faith, called sacraments. 
Now, even within the church, there's been some disagreement as to what people consider to be sacraments. In the Catholic Church, there's seven of them. In some churches, they list eight of them. Most Protestant religions list two of them. And these are ones that they practice on a regular basis. I want to share with you Merriam-Webster's definition of sacrament. It's a Christian rite, such as the baptism or the Eucharist, the last one, that is believed to have been ordained by Christ and that is held to be a meaning of divine grace or to be a symbol or a sign or symbol of the spiritual reality. It is a religious rite or service comparable to a Christian sacrament. In other words, it is something that is used, something that is done as a means of giving divine grace. <clears throat> it is something that is done as a means of giving divine grace. This is why, according to this definition of the Salvation Army, this is actively practice sacraments. It's not that we don't believe in them. It's just that we feel that the sacraments are not what gives you divine grace. They can be an outward sign of an inward faith that they themselves are not what gives you grace. Now, some Christians have replaced the word sacrament with ordinance. They say that Jesus ordained baptism in the Lord's Supper, and that these proper practices have a symbolic value. That they are a blessing. And that's true. In the Salvation Army, we don't have a problem with that.
traveling with alcohol and participating in a communal civil line is not, not a good thing. We know you're struggling with this temptation, so let us throw it at you to see how you're doing. In not using wine, because the army's way of saying, you know what, we understand what you're struggling with. And as our brothers and sisters in Christ, if seeing you, seeing us partake is going to cause a stumble with you, then we're going to torment too. The Bible says that if we call stumbling, Paul talks to the church and he goes, you guys are sitting here arguing over legalities. Who should and shouldn't be eating meat? You know what? Do what you need to do. But if you're going to, this is going to be such a matter, and you know that you participating in this, is going to cause your brother to stumble that you need to avoid it. Now, another reason is in the Salvation Army itself, there was some confusion over who had the right to preside over the administration of the Sabbath. Now, the army has a slogan that says, go for the souls and go for the works. Right? In the early years of the army, most of our believers were people who had been reformed from the past, like many of us here today. They were recovering alcoholics. They were recovering drug addicts. They were prostitutes who had left their life behind. And they were women, which in the early years of the Salvation Army was something that we did, but not the church. was a stumbling block to some. We are going to care where these women came from. Just like when Jesus was ministering to the woman at the well, he didn't care about the past. All he thought about was where she could be going. And then there was confusion over who was worthy to receive the sacrament. Should everyone be offered communion? Who was in charge of deciding who received it or didn't receive it? Some churches offer communion only to its church members. That being said, you know, it helps to make sure that people participating understand what they are participating in. You don't want them to think that by participating, they're being absolved of something that their faith doesn't match. Like I said, 
expression, an outward expression of an inward faith, but what's already inside needs to match. And so, today's society, we kind of have a follower mentality, right? We do a food distribution here, twice a month. And sometimes cars will line up after they've checked in, they'll line up to get their food and they'll come through to get their bags because they're on the list. But every now and then we'll get a car that just gets in line because there's a line of things. There's a line of cars and they want to know what's going on. So they'll get in line and they spent minutes, almost hours in this line. Only to get through and go, oh, well, I don't know what was going on. I just seen the line. seen a meme the other day about a woman standing in line. I don't know what she thought she was in line for, but interestingly enough, she was standing behind two mannequins. <laughs> they weren't going anywhere. But she was standing there for about 15 minutes, they said. So she realized that she, I don't know, maybe she felt like the line for the checkout or something. We're a follower society. And that's why in the Salvation Army's ministry, we deal with so many people from so many different walks of life. And we want to make sure that everybody is able to worship and everybody understands. We want to make and help everyone stay grow. But we want to make sure that when it's our faith is grown, they understand what they believe in. Because what have we been saying? Knowing what you believe is essential to knowing your identity in Christ and knowing your identity in Christ is what's going to help you to remain strong and to resist the temptations and the trials that come your way. It's what helps you have a strong foundation in faith. Because you know who you believe in. And you know what you believe in. And so it's important to understand what these mean. And to not just follow through with emotions. Not understanding the significance of what they're supposed to be. living in that life, living in sin, knowing that it's sin, 
of God's grace? Are you truly repentant? And if you're not truly repentant, are you truly going to be able to receive God's grace in your life? The Bible tells us we have not because we ask not. And it says to ask in faith, believe that you will receive. But if you're living a life like that, and you're taking advantage of God's grace, is there a part of you that is still doubting that you'll receive it? Because a part of you knows that that approach is wrong. So if you have even just that little bit of doubt, is your faith enough? Where we have our doctrine on holiness in the salvation realm. To be able to enter into the presence of Christ, we do not have to participate in the observance of sacraments, but rather allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us. We do not come into the presence of Christ through communion, but rather by being sanctified by the Holy Spirit work in our lives. We do not come into the presence of Christ through ritual. And that is one main reason why the salvation army has put aside the observances, the ordinances, if you will, the sacraments. I believe it is the privilege of all believers to be fully sacrificed. And as such, your whole body, minds, and souls may be preserved for the to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Say that you need to participate to observe the sacraments in order to receive our grace. Just to almost say that the power of the blood is not enough. That Jesus, that the price he paid was not enough. That there needed to be something more. The Bible does talk about these sacraments. We're going to look at some scripture pertaining to that. People are like, well, it's in the Bible, right? And we've said before, in order to know what you believe, you need to know where it is. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, starting with verse 26. Now as you get there, you may notice that it is still 
Matthew 26, starting with verse 26, says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day that I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So, <coughs> that is known as the Last Supper. The Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. Look at Matthew 16, or Mark 16. Mark 16. Starting with verse 22. Mark 
part, do not contain that little part in remembrance of me. Did you guys notice that? Out of those translations, out of those Gospels, what was the only one that we covered? Luke, right? And then we have Paul talking in Corinthians. Interestingly enough, when Paul is addressing the church in Corinthians in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, he is actually responding to the fact that they had been abusing the remembrance, using it
think that maybe that's why for every meal we say grace. That and saying grace is doing it in remembrance of him. In honoring him in his sacrifice. this way with similar arguments about baptism. But honestly, what we need to basically remember is if you're going to sit and argue over the sacraments and whether you practice them or not, you hearken back to when Paul had to address the Gentiles and the Jewish believers who had come to believe in Jesus with the legalities of their faith. Because some goes, well, we believe this, and this is how you have to be saved, and we believe this, and this is how you have to be saved, and they got caught up in what it looked like to practice your life as a Christian legally. You're going to get hung up on what it means to practice your life as a Christian in the do's and the don'ts, then your faith will suffer. Romans chapter 2. One huge divide they had had was circumcision. They believed that to be saved, to be holy, you had to be circumcised to the point where adult believers were being circumcised so that they too could be considered a believer to be holy. So Romans chapter 2. Starting in verse 28. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by a written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. It's not about what you observe and how you practice it. It's about your heart and where it's at. We talked about the follower mentality, people who may participate in the sacraments, not understanding what they are supposed to mean we're not saying not to participate in the sacraments. We're saying to understand that it is an outward sign of an inward faith and that in order to truly participate, you need to have that inward faith and be assured of where you're at. 
need to know that your life, your walk, and your heart are where God would have them to be. You need to know who you are in Christ. You need to know what you believe. And then when you know what you believe, you know where your heart is. Because where your heart is, your mind will follow. Right? We've talked about how we need to take control and wrestle our thoughts. <clears throat> our mind and our heart go hand in hand. Where one is, the other will soon be. So let us make sure that our mind and our heart are focused on Jesus. Let us make sure that our mind and our heart have Jesus in them. Fully. Let us make sure that we know who we are. It is not enough to say that we are a Christian. to live with it as a title. We must follow it. People should be able to look at our lives and know it. And if God were to search our hearts, we would see it. Participating in the sacraments should be a matter of the heart, not a written code. If we do participate in them, it's not the call of us, it's ordained by the law. Because we are doing it to draw closer to Him. They are to help us. They are not what gives us grace, they're a sign of they're not what gives us faith. They're a sign. And then truly, we understand that. And they can strengthen us. They may help us bring us closer to Him. But we need to be working on our relationship with God, having Him in our hearts. If anyone receives a blessing through the practice of sacraments, that is wonderful. But we need to understand that they are not what brings us into the presence of God. They are not what brings us into the daily presence of Christ. They are not what brings Christ into our hearts. He comes in because we invite him. And no ritual or ordinance or sacrament can help you with that. Because the truest communion is something that not anyone else observes. Because it's between you and God. And that's the communion you need to make sure you ever notice the word communion kind of sounds like another word? 
communicate. How does God get in your heart? You ask him. How do you live in his daily presence? You ask to. And daily means you ask how often? Daily, every day, every second. If you don't feel his presence, ask for him. He's not the one that leaves us. It's us who can wander off. And so if we feel disconnected, what we may have to do is pray that he removes what is preventing us. We talked about some of those things, those things that can replace him in our lives, right? And the importance and the things to do to help build our faith. And so we're going to take this final time to spend some time in communion with God. That being said, it's your time to communicate with Him. We heard earlier during our prayer time that we were asking for deliverance from things that we struggle with. Take this time to communicate with Him. To fully surrender and ask for His deliverance. Ask for His provision. In order to live in His daily presence, We need to be willing to surrender our lives to him. To allow him to have all there is of us. To use our lives our minds, our talents, our bodies, our hearts according to his purpose was.
yours come dwell within us that we might be able to live in your daily presence deliver us from whatever it is that may be preventing us from that from distracting us from focusing on you that we may know that we have the option the opportunity the blessing to be able to commune with you daily, to communicate with you, to dwell with you and to have you dwell within us, to be in your presence and to walk in your ways. We ask that you be with us. May we abide in your presence daily. May we live with you in our hearts as we walk in this world. 
And we ask all these things. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen.